today on the Almond Journey podcast. I work with the grower and I say, this is where I see the issues. This is where I think we can improve with this program or with this material. I think we can do better. If I wouldn't do it for dad, I'm not doing it for them. Pest control advisor Robert Sylvester talks about pest management and the important relationship between growers and PCAs. Welcome back to the Almond Journey podcast brought to you by the Almond Board of California. On the show, we discover how growers, handlers, and other stakeholders are making things work in their operations to drive the almond industry forward. I'm your host, Tim Hamrich, and I'm traveling up and down the valley, virtually in this case, to feature the leaders who are finding innovative ways to improve their operations, connect with their local communities, and advance the almond industry. Today, we head to Merced, California, to visit with pest control advisor Robert Sylvester. Robert's been a PCA for Wilbur Ellis for over 12 years now, focused on almonds. His father had a small farm management company, so he grew up around the crop. It was an internship, though, with Wilbur Ellis while he attended Cal Poly that led him to getting hired and getting his PCA license. Robert grew up in series and says almonds, or almonds, have pretty much always been his sole focus. I almost, and it's a, a strength and a weakness, I almost don't know any other crops besides almonds because I grew up on an almond farm, ranch, and that's what we did. And dad trained me in the cultural practices, the irrigation, mowing, all that stuff. And we had a couple acres of grapes, but the grapes were almost always a side thought. We tore those grapes out. And then when I worked with Wilbur, they saw my strength, weakness, whatever you call it, as a strength. And they put me on their, one of their largest almond growers and kind of just grew my skills as I progressed through the, you know, as a field checker to a salesman and whatnot. Right on. Well, um, what's changed, you know, in, in your time in the business or, or even what you remember from, from growing up around farming in terms of the, the pest and disease pressure that you deal with today versus what you would have dealt with 12 plus years ago? What we dealt with 12 plus years ago was probably, and it's funny and it's not, is rain. Um, it doesn't seem like we have an off season anymore. I remember when we started, there was weeks where we didn't, I don't want to say we didn't come to work, but you didn't go to the field because it rained and you couldn't get on the ground. Now there's almost no off season. We're, we're spreading lime, we're spreading jip, we're spreading compost. We're doing something or uh, doing our winter sanitation early or blowing strips so we can get a residual. We're doing something all the time. And I would say the disease pressure is less, and I want to say that's due to less rain, but it seems like the rain just comes at inconvenient times now, like in April when you got your cherries ready or in May. And those are the years that the disease pressures hit like a son of a gun because it rained at the perfect time. And it just happens to happen two weeks after you've done your May spray or right before you do your May spray so your fungicide isn't, isn't working then. Um, and then the other one is rain and, and water. A lot of guys have become more focused on efficiently using their water and actually testing their water. I remember when I was a kid, we just ran the water. It didn't really matter. I don't want to say how long, but more the source. We just ran the water because you turn the water on. Now we have to check the water for nitrates and boron and bicarbonates and do all these checks 
before we apply it and then know how much we're putting on because there's a salinity factor. So we have to put on an extra 25% because we got to push the salts out of the profile because we're using a crappy well because we didn't get enough surface water. And going back to the first part you mentioned about the rains coming at unfortunate times, you know, did that happen this year? And if so, kind of what were the big pest disease issues you had to help your growers with this year? We had a little bit of rain at, I don't want to say inopportune times. It was less than last year. Uh, Last year, we had some real bad rust and scab. This year, the disease pressure wasn't major except in I got some real low blocks that sit on creek bottoms that the, just the air doesn't move. And there was more disease than, you know, in a regular block. It, it just always has diseases, um, but it wasn't horrible. The biggest issue we dealt with this year has probably been plant bug. Everybody knows about navel orange worm. You spray and you try to do winter sanitation the best you can, depending on how you can get on it. And that one wasn't a huge issue. A little bit in some later blocks, the ant damage wasn't bad unless they sat on the ground forever and got hit by that last rain. But the plant bug, growers have, and I have noticed it, I go through haulers and I see nuts with black spots. They call it brown spot, but they look like little sunken in black lesions. And I've seen it, but it doesn't show up enough in the reports, end of the year reports, that is beneficial to pay for an application because if you're going to spray a pyrethroid in the middle of the year then we're going to spray mites again and that's going to be you know 10 bucks for your pyrethroid 50 bucks for the miticide plus the 25 bucks for the application so you're just building up the cost and this year i saw it in some independence it's creeping up year after year and i believe i don't i want to say it's conclusive but i believe that a lot of people not doing dormant sprays because one, we're trying to cut costs. Two, we don't see as many diseases unless it actually rains in season. Why would you put a dormant spray on? Well, when we put that dormant spray on, we eliminated a lot of pests when you're using kind of a broad spectrum. I want to say like a sale as an example, um, a neonicotinoid. It just nukes the orchard. So any plant bugs that were out there, even though we weren't treating for them, would have been potentially taken care of. And this year, that's more of what I'm seeing. That was, I think, almost the only thing I got called to the floor on by a grower was, hey, what's this damage? It's 4%. I go, 4%. We don't get 4%. That's horrible. We go look through the nuts. It's all black spot or brown spot. Yeah. And are the dormant sprays the most cost-effective way to keep those in check? So the way I explained... The most effective way would be an in-season if you find the bug or if you see the damage. But if you find the bug, you're a a genius or you got something going on because they're just damn near impossible to find. If you find the damage, you're two weeks to 10 days late. And we don't have any real good monitoring tools. They're supposed to be developing pheromones. And I've used the brown marmalated stink bug trap and I've never really caught anything, but I have the damage. So to me, it's almost a two-part. Once it gets bad enough... We do a dormant spray, hit it with a neonic, something that'll be effective, even a pyrethroid low rates in the off season, and then come back in season in the May spray. Um, I'm looking, researching a couple of materials, trying to stay away from pyrethroids, anything that would be mm, cost effective, and maybe even if it's a little more expensive, so we don't have to spray for mites again. Yeah, that, that makes sense. What else is currently making your job 
harder or easier? I'm just curious, what else is happening there in the orchard that, that either makes your job a little bit more difficult to do on a daily basis or a little easier to do? Uh, easier is technology. Wilbur has an Ag Verdict app, and I can bring up Google Maps. I can bring up my phone, and I can find where I'm at. And I have a trap checker, and he's taking samples, and I can put marks on a map, and boom. He doesn't have to get the map. He doesn't have to look for the road. It takes him right to it. That makes it a heck of a lot easier, and that would have been quite useful 12, 13 years ago. More difficult, I would say, is regulations. Everybody wants cleaner, safe food, and I agree with them. But the regulation, I got to track our nitrates in our groundwater. I got to file recs and NOIs and PURs. And I understand tracking, but at a certain point, it gets a little out of hand. We got to be regulated on everything. And then when we have a pest, oh, no, we're just going to get rid of, um, we're, we're working on getting rid of neonicotinoids, one of the most effective ones. We already got rid of Lorsban, or organophosphates. I don't think that's right. And it's just everything we do where we find a good tool, somebody's got to slap our hand and tell us we're doing it wrong or we're poisoned. It just it becomes very difficult with the regulations. And so how do you adjust to that? I mean, if, if you do, you know, lose more tools, what happens? You know, what, how as a PCA do you continue to serve your customers with, you know, your hand being time behind your back? Oh, as a PCA, I don't know if everyone knows but we have to do 40 hours of continuing education units. And so we go to CAPCA and we go to all these meetings and we get updates on new products, on um, research. And that is generally where I would say I find most of the new tools. Because if you can't spray something, there's got to be something else that works. Um, so we couldn't use pyrethroids in... Uh, at may spray anymore because we're flaring mites so we switch to minecto which gives the mites a little kick and hits the navel orange worm there's always an alternative if you look hard enough and it almost feels like we're being forced to that and it just it's a lot of meetings i hate the meetings because they're generally boring but if you actually get a good meeting and you get good information you come out feeling almost better than before and at capca i was able to reach out and talk to a couple of my different suppliers and I'm working on a couple of different solutions to problems we've had. And it is nice when you go to a meeting, you actually take something from it. And then you get to come back to the grower and go, hey, I found this out. Let's try this. Let's do it on a couple acres. Let's see if it works. And it's just constantly evolving and kind of being open and trying new things. Now, I, I try not to be the first one to try the newest chemistry because I don't need to kill a whole bunch of trees. But if we could try it on a few acres and somebody else can say, yeah, we used it and nothing died, nothing that wasn't supposed to die died, it seems to work out. Let's go back to something you were talking about earlier. You were talking about what has made your job easier is technology. Can you go into some of the kind of technologies that have really helped improve uh, you know, your ability to serve customers? So Wilbur Ellis offers, uh, it's like Agrian, but Wilbur Ellis calls it Ag Verdict, provides a mapping tool. I can go block by block. It helps me write the recs, do the PURs. It almost keeps me on track with my recs, NOIs, PURs. The, just general GPS, which doesn't sound very scientific, but I, I wasn't using it in 2010 when I graduated from Cal Poly. Being able to send a map and or a actual dot, 
hey, this is the field. This is the spot I want sampled. This is where the bug is or the mites are. And instead of having to meet up with a, a, a field checker, explain everything to them and, and the time it takes to understand and comprehend that, you just send them a map and he goes home and he looks at it and goes, oh, okay, that looks pretty good. I think I can go there. I understand this is where I'm supposed to go. This is the neighbor's block. I don't need to go scout that. Just that has made my life a lot easier. There's a, that same ranch is down in Madera. It's 1,400 acres. I pull, I want to say, 40 samples. So I got to do tissues, soils, boron. And I was able to make a map. It took me about two hours, so it was a little labor intensive. But I was able to outline each block and put a dot on each block. And by the tree, the guy was able to sample it. And instead of using a hand-drawn map where I got to count trees and it takes me almost a day and a half to do it, I got this guy to get it done in almost a half a day, which so much time saving. That's really cool. It makes a ton of sense when you put it that way. What about, are you getting any, any growers that are doing like cover crops or trying any like the soil health uh, type practices and, and how does that affect your role with them or your work? Um, I've got two different growers that are, and I don't know if we're going for soil health benefits. That's not why we plant them per se. I believe that is a benefit they receive. My dad was a beekeeper in one of his million jobs before he was a farmer and after he was a dairyman. And he just has this thing for bees. He likes to go check them and smoke a cigar and not get the bees all over him. And they somehow don't bother him or kill him or sting him. But he likes to plant mustard. And mustard is certain varieties of mustard have been known to have effects on nematodes. And then they have such a deep tap root that they're supposed to open up and aerate the soil make the soil profile, soil structure a little better. And he likes to plant, you know, a couple rows of this every year. And he is constantly on my behind about getting that done. And I don't know that he, he likes to see these beautiful flowers in bloom time, either before or after the trees are blooming, but he loves it. And it's just a point he has, we have to do that. And then up in the hills, I have some growers and when they replant, you rip everything. You push a little bit of this steep mountain over that we didn't have the technology or the money to push over before, and then we plant trees. And then in that rare event, when it rains, there's nothing there to hold the soil because you don't have the old orchard. You don't have the old middles. There's nothing there but bare ground. And we have found that being preemptive and planting the, it's usually like an oat mix, really helps just hold the ground together. They'll put some hay bales. Um, you know, along the swells because you just can't prevent all erosion. And I've noticed it helps in two ways. It keeps the soil from moving. It provides some um, carbon to kind of recycle and get that going again. And then the hilltops where the trees aren't growing, the grower always has to blame somebody. So he goes, PC, why aren't my trees growing up on that hill? And you go, well, it's really crappy ground and you pushed all the topsoil off and you can't tell them it's their fault. But if the oats don't grow, you go, hey, nothing wants to grow there. So why would trees grow there? And it almost provides kind of a conversation starter. If nothing will grow on that hill, why would an almond tree want to grow on that hilltop? And it almost encourages the grower to go, oh, yeah, no, we should get some, you know, compost or we should get some humic acid or some micros. We should get something to get those trees growing instead of, dang it, those trees on those hills don't grow. Why did you do that hill and why don't they grow? It, it, it opens the the valve a little bit and allows for easier conversation. 
Well, uh, Taylor and Jenny at the Almond Board had said that you you have a story about a grower using the, the weed ID tool that they wanted me to make sure I asked you about. Do you know what they're talking about? And if so, can you tell me about that? I know exactly what they were talking about, and it started as a joke. It was uh, Michael Roots, and then Jenny was sitting there, and they had these weed identification books, and it's a way newer, fancier one. They used to give me a little, I don't know, it's about as big as my hand, and it had a, uh, a ring through it, and I could flip through it when I was a field checker, and it had all these different weeds. As you progress in your job and you learn things, you see a lot of the same thing, and most of the weeds, 90% of the weeds I can identify, or I know what kills it. You almost don't even know the weed, but say, ah, this is a gold weed, and I, don't, I didn't need these anymore, these little books. I, uh, when I worked for Dad, I had a couple of different, I don't know, five, six guys that I worked with on different ranches. And they really liked their job, and they, they took kind of ownership of the ranch, and it was their ranch, and they liked to make it beautiful. And when they would call, they'd kind of want to know why we were spraying Roundup or, or Rely or Goal instead of Trevix. You know, they wanted to know why, and then they wanted to know, well, what's this weed? I see this weed everywhere. What kills this weed? I want to know what I could put in the spot spray tank that'll kill this. So I gave them a couple of those books. And I didn't think anything of it. So I, I roll up on, on Michael and, and Jenny and I'm and I'm looking at these new, beautiful books and they got these wonderful pictures and they're so descriptive. And I said, I don't need any of these. And they said, why don't you need any of these? I said, I gave these to my couple of my guys, you know, years ago. And now they call me and they tell me what we're spraying. And I don't know. I like my job. I don't want to lose my job because they call me and they go, hey, Robert, send out Roundup and Trivix. And I'm going, no, 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 no. This is not how it works. I show up to the field, I tell you the weeds, and then I write it up and we deliver it. You guys are trying to kick me out of a job. And um, they they still obviously can't get chemicals or get the wreck and whatnot if they don't have APCA. But it was just very entertaining that actual people in the field taking ownership of their job and taking pride in their job and wanting to know, what are we doing? How do we do this? All right. Well, I know I know you're getting called back to the office here, but uh, to kind of wrap things up, you know, think of an audience of, of growers kind of wondering about uh, what should they be thinking about when it comes to working with their PCA or, or with pest and disease issues on the orchard? You know, what would be your, uh, you, you know, your little mini TED talk if you could give one to that group? A thing I hear, and this might be to PCAs and to growers, a thing I hear from growers, um, and it was maybe not as much this year because we've we've done a lot of proving and everything has to have an ROI and a return on investment, but we'd find a disease or we'd find a bug. We did the research. We did the footwork. We found out what is causing this damage or what is causing this leaf loss or this disease. And we go, well, this is what we need to do. And 90% of the time it is generally another spray or another chemical. And the grower goes, oh, okay, again, you're just over here to spend my money. And it gets frustrating because I don't consider myself a salesman. In my job, I do. I, I go out and I, I guess I sell. In my head, I am a solutions provider. I go out, I work with the grower, I look at his ranch in a little bit different way, not from a farmer way, kind of from a plant doctor way. And I say, this is where I see the issues. This is where I think we can improve with this program or with this material. I think we can do better. Me personally, and I, I, there's got to be some other PCAs that feel this way. I'm never trying to sell you anything besides a solution. This product, I'm not married to it. Whatever it is, I'm here to help you and make you do better. I take a lot of pride 
in my work because when my group of friends, the non-farming group of them go, oh, yeah, that's Robert. You got a tree problem? You got a, a plant problem, a bug problem, a weed problem? You call Robert. Robert, if he doesn't know what it is, he could generally get close to fixing it. And it's um, it used to just frustrate the snot out of me. And now I just kind of got to take it. Just, just got to be water off my back. But I'm here to help. And if it is not something I wouldn't do on my ranch or on dad's ranch, I wouldn't recommend it to you. I almost never have the silver bullet because growers sometimes go, I got this one problem and I want to fix it. What's the one spray we do? It's generally not one spray. It's generally a program like Naval Orange one. We got to shake. We got to do a May spray. We got to do a hole split. Now we do two or three hole split sprays. There, there's always a little bit more to it. And what I've gotten more used to is it's not great, but it, it is almost good because it, it gets rid of the, maybe the PCAs that don't have the same mindset is justifying everything. I had to justify every single unit of nitrogen we put on those trees this year because some orchards didn't have very many nuts. And once we saw, you know, six to 18 inches of growth, we're done. If it didn't rain, we're not spraying. And when my boss says, hey, your numbers are down, I go, I, yeah, didn't rain. My numbers are down. Cool. Sometimes there's things you don't have control of. I have to focus on what's the best for the grower. If I wouldn't do it for dad, I'm not doing it for them. Well, I want to say thank you very much to Robert Sylvester for being on the show today and for sharing what he's seeing out there as a PCA. He joked about the weed ID tools, putting him out of a job, but I think the real takeaway there is that these are really helpful resources. They're easy to carry around in your pickup, to reference anytime you see something out in the orchard, and helps growers and PCAs stay on the same page. And there are more of those resources on the way. And that will be the focus of today's ABC Update. A few years ago, the Almond Board of California looked for opportunities to provide tangible tools that would help both growers and PCAs. Ultimately, they put together a family of identification booklets with pictures and descriptions to keep in a pickup and reference throughout the year. Almond Board Senior Manager of Industry Relations and Communications, Jenny Nicolau, says the response from the industry has been overwhelmingly positive. Pretty amazing, probably better than I ever expected. We continue to hear from pest control advisors and even growers how helpful both the identification booklets have been to them. And what we're now hearing is kind of this pass along effect or this domino effect where we know we gave a weed ID or a pest ID booklet to a grower or PCA and they don't have it anymore. And the reason they don't have it is because they passed it on to their farm manager, somebody on the labor team. And so this pass along effect means that it is just continuing to ripple through the people in the orchard. And it's really helping people identify what they're seeing. And it's really helping the conversations with pest control advisors, um, kind of making their job a little easier. And I think it empowers the farm managers and, and the laborers in the orchard to really learn and really start to have a better idea of what they're seeing, like they're part of it when they can work with their PCA, thanks to these identification booklets. Jenny says this early success came from the first couple of tools they developed to be accessible and informative, each covering a specific aspect of almond orchard management. The very first one has a little bit of a long name. It's called the Almond Production Resources, but it's really the pest ID booklet. And it covers everything from insects, mites, vertebrates, and it even goes into natural enemies, which I think is often overlooked. 
and has fantastic pictures from UC, ANR, and IPM to help growers scout and identify different pests in the orchard. It also offers some really helpful irrigation calculations and conversions. And there's a few pages that remind growers about application quick tips on ways to really um, ensure efficiency with your spray applications and also ensure that you're reducing any spray drift. The second set of cards we developed about a year later was the weed identification manual. And that goes into both warm and cool season, but almond specific weeds. That's what makes these cards so incredible is they are almond specific. So while there are some similar resources out there, this really goes in to just almond weeds, just almond pests. And I'd be remiss if I didn't call out that the content in both the pest and weed ID booklets is derived from the University of California Ag and Natural Resources. So all the content, all the images have been reviewed by UC experts. And now there's a brand new tool that will be available for the first time ever next week at the Almond Conference. I'm really excited about this third ID set because it rounds out the family which is the Almond Disease and Nutrient Deficiency Identification Cards. We know that with new advancements and technologies, that really helps with our industry's continuous improvement. But equally important are those calculated, well-informed production practices that can help a grower's bottom line. And so this set of disease and nutrient identification cards it just really doesn't exist in a print form out there and they are being designed now. They will be debuted and available at the Almond Conference this December. You can learn more about the conference and you can register at almonds.com. All of these resources are free and they'll be at the Almond Board booth. So make sure you register for the Almond Conference and be sure to join us next week, December 6th through the 8th at the Safe Credit Union Convention Center in Sacramento. Not only can you pick up this new free tool there, but it's an event you absolutely do not want to miss. Go to almonds.com forward slash conference, register, and we'll see you there. We here at the Almond Journey podcast believe everyone in the almond industry has a story of their own of how they're making things work on their farms or in their jobs. Hearing the voices of industry leaders, people like Robert Sylvester, may spark a connection or an idea that you can use in your own journey. That's why we want to feature these stories of innovation, resilience, and community here on this podcast. I hope you'll come along for the ride by subscribing to the show on your podcast platform of choice. And please pass it along to someone else you know or post it on social media so we can all share in this almond journey together.